That is what we call heavy church. Man, alive. I'm not going to lie to you. His beard scares me. <laughs> that, that was absolutely unbelievable. But what a great statement of where we've been over the last few weeks as a church. Prison break. Escaping normal to come on in and see the walls come tumbling. Let the gates of glory open wide. That's what this whole thing has been about. If you, I, I, that song just got me fired up. I want to go play football or something right now, and I don't even play football. I know it's hard to believe. But uh, we are so, so excited about what God has been up to and what we have gotten to see him do as together as a church family, we have been genuinely pursuing the escape of normal, to get outside of what is expected, to get outside the walls of what's accepted as normal and get at exactly what it is that God created us for. Now, over the last few weeks, we've covered a lot of different ground, but today, I thought it would be particularly appropriate as we launch into Thanksgiving this coming week for us to escape normal where it concerns our family. I thought today it would be great for us to get at some very real family Freedom. So I want you to look at the person sitting next to you and tell them with passion and enthusiasm, get you some freedom. That was awful. I love you too much to lie to you. Tell them like you mean it. Get you some freedom. Because the Bible says this in the book of Galatians chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom and When it comes to our families, the reality is that most of us have some baggage. Most of us have some issues. And if you've been around here any amount of time at all, you've heard me say before, I do not believe in the term dysfunctional family. I don't think dysfunctional family is an appropriate term because the term dysfunctional family implies that somewhere there's a functional family. And the reality is that we all have dysfunction in our family. Some more, some less, but we've all got it. I've got it. You've got it. All God's children got some dysfunction going on. I'm sure at some point in their lives, my kids, Emily and Joseph, will get to go see a therapist. And they will, you know, tell them, Dad, you know, put our diapers on too tight or who's a little too harsh or whatever. That's just part of living life. And I think the sooner we come to understand that and to embrace that, the sooner we're able to really enjoy the family freedom that God created us for. One of the things that we've seen throughout this series at every step along the way, but is particularly true where our families are concerned, is the reality that the gospel changes everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. Everything. There's not one part of our lives where the gospel impinges or where the gospel touches that is left the same as it was before. There is always a stark contrast before and after. And this is particularly true where our families are concerned. Now, Thanksgiving is coming up. And most of us, I think, conjure images of that kind of Rockwellian Thanksgiving meal. You, you know the picture that I'm talking about. It's kind of iconic in our world today. This picture where the nuclear family gathers around the table and mother brings in the perfectly roasted turkey and father prepares to slice it just perfectly for the whole family. 
Interestingly, Rockwell's title for this painting was Freedom from Want. It was painted in 1943, and he used it to illustrate some of the pillars of a speech given by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. But it has become so iconic in our culture that this is what a lot of us think of when we think about Thanksgiving. But the reality that many of us experience can be far, far different from Rockwell's picture. As a matter of fact, I think this next picture displays what most of us probably experience when it comes to Thanksgiving around our houses. Let's take a look. That, I think, is what most of us could probably relate to more than anything else, with Homer and Marge and Bart and all of the other little Simpsons running around the table in chaos and disorder. But the fact of the matter is, God desires us to experience, to live in, and to know real family freedom, not only at Thanksgiving, because the fact of the matter is, the holidays crystallize what lies just beneath the surface the rest of the year throughout the rest of the calendar we can kind of like act like everything's okay act like cousin marge is normal and everything's fine but at the holidays that's when everything kind of comes to a head and and those things that we keep under the surface start to bubble up don't they so what we're going to do in the time that we've got left is see how the gospel sets us free as it relates to our families. If you've got your Bible with you or your smartphone, go ahead and pick out Romans chapter number 12. Now in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul is writing to this fledgling congregation there in Rome, the center of the known universe at that time. And Paul is explaining to them how the gospel changes our interpersonal relationships. He's talking to them in the context of the church, but I think as we go through this passage today, you'll see that what Paul wrote to the church in its original context will absolutely work around our Thanksgiving dinner tables this week and our fam- throughout our families throughout the entire year. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Romans 12, verse 10. I'm going to read just the first part of it first, and then immediately we're going to take that down because I don't want to get ahead of the curve. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. The first part of that verse says, be devoted to one another in love. Now, take that, just take that little phrase right there. And that is something you might expect to hear in church. Be devoted to one another in love. Amen. You, you preach the word, pastor. That's a good word. Be devoted in love. Amen. And it's, and it's true. It's a great encouragement it's a great challenge to be devoted to one another in love but remember what we said at the very beginning the gospel changes everything everything gets stood on its ear for the purposes of christ in the economy of god look at what paul goes on inspired by the holy spirit he says be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves rut row Let me tell you something, that all of a sudden just got real, didn't it? It's one thing to say, I'm going to be devoted to my family in love. We'll have everybody over. But to honor one another above ourselves, man, that, that is the eternal struggle, isn't it? You know what Paul's saying here? The first thing that Paul's saying in Romans chapter 12 is that you and I are called in Jesus' name by the power of Jesus to renounce the throne. Renounce the throne that most of us have spent a lifetime trying to ascend to. It's the throne 
of supremacy. And now, here's the thing. When you're first born, you get put on the throne. If, if you just kind of go, what? People jump, man. They're like, he may be dirty. Oh, she needs to be fed. She didn't get a nap. We got to do something. The baby's starting to cry. And it doesn't take long before the baby starts to figure out how the game is played. And the baby likes the game. I mean, seriously, what if you just spend the rest of your life just go, eh, and somebody just immediately jumps. Now, as we get older, we learn how to cloak the wah, and we, we use different language. We try to appear selfless, but we'll sometimes kind of maybe we learn to be a little manipulative. Maybe we try a little passive-aggressive, maybe a little aggressive-aggressive. But whatever the case might be, we like us some throne time, don't we? We like to sit on the throne, to be the king of all we survey. There's something inside of me when my wife Julie says, Honey, what do you want for dinner? Then I think, I'll make this decision for the family. I'm on the throne. And then I remember, ooh, when I'm on the throne, things don't work as well. And I'll say, honey, I don't know, what would you like? (laughs) But we all love the throne. We all do. It's what causes problems in our marriages. It's what causes problems between parents and children. It's what causes problems at work. We want the throne. But the gospel tells us to renounce the throne what would our thanksgiving tables look like this coming week what would our families look like throughout the year if each of us renounced the throne what if students decided you know what i am going to honor my mom and dad i don't understand why they tell me to do what they tell me to do or not to do what they don't what they tell me not to do but I'm going to trust that God knew what he was doing when he gave them to me. And no matter how clueless I think they are, I'm going to honor my mom and dad. What if moms and dads, we decided, you know what? We're going to honor our spouses above ourselves. I'm going to put Julie's needs above my own. I'm going to renounce the throne today. I'm just going to see what happens today. Honey, I don't care what you... what. I want for dinner. See, I can't even get the words out. You see how naturally programmed we are? Some of you live with Arthur Fonzarelli. Remember Arthur Fonz? I was was wrong. You can't even get the words out. But what would our families look like? What would Thanksgiving be like if, if your nuclear family decided, you know what, this week... We're hosting. This week we're a guest in somebody's home and we are going to renounce the throne. Look for ways to renounce the throne. Look for ways to honor other people above yourself. Look for those ways to say, hey, what do y'all want to do? I'll never forget when, when our kids were very, very small. Julie came to me about a week before Thanksgiving. She said, you know what I want to do? The day after Thanksgiving, I want to go shopping at 5 a.m. when the stores open for Christmas for our kids. 
And I'll never forget looking into her eyes and thinking she had lost her flipping mind. I wanted to go shopping at 5 a.m. the day after Thanksgiving like I wanted a hole in the head. I'm just, you know, keeping it real. But I'll never forget when I did it. There was an amazing chemistry between husband and wife for a solid 72 hours, which is solid gold, by the way. I remember getting up and just kind of laughing at the whole day and going, all right, here we go. <laughs> this is nuts. Look at all these crazy people at Toys R Us at 5 a.m. And I'm one of them. But in that moment, that was what communicated love to Julie. I, I to this day, can't explain it. I can just tell you, it worked. <laughs> Honor one another above yourselves. Look for those opportunities. Paul's not done. Romans 12, verse 18. This is so important. This is so huge. Check this out. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That is a great verse. You should underline that verse in your Bible right now. Highlight it on your smartphone, clip it and make it your wallpaper, your screensaver, whatever it takes. Live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. Now, some of you are thinking right now, Mac, you have no idea who's coming to my house or whose house I'm going to for Thanksgiving. You have no idea. Aunt Marge is whack-a-doodle-doo. You, you know, I'm, you, some of y'all laugh with the laugh of recognition. You know I'm telling the truth. And you're thinking, it I doesn't matter what I do. There, there, there'll be no peace in the valley as far as it depends on you. What's Paul saying here? The deep theological application. You do you. Tell your neighbor right now, you do you. You know, don't you? We'll, we'll do much better next time. You do you. Man, isn't it amazing how family knows exactly what buttons to push? They do. They know when you're tired. They know where you're vulnerable. I have two brothers that we can't wait to celebrate Thanksgiving with. They'll be here with their whole families for Thanksgiving this weekend. We get along great. But when we were younger, man, especially when we were younger. My brothers are younger than me. I'm the oldest my brothers are twins, two and a half years younger, Gil and Pat. Great guys now. <laughs> when we were kids, Pat knew exactly what buttons to push to just get under my skin. I still remember saying to my mom multiple times, Mom, check to see if this ring's familiar with you. Mom, Pat's looking at me. <laughs> How many of y'all have had a moment like that in your household? You know what I'm talking about. Pat's looking at me, and my mother, the brilliant, wise, insightful diplomat that she, that she is, would say the following, leave the room. Leave the room. So, Mom, I was here first. Mac, leave the room. He's just trying to get a rise out of you. Mom, he looked at me. Leave the room. 
leave the room. Some of us, this Thanksgiving, you are going to say a prayer of deep, soul-searing gratitude for the fact that you can watch a football game on your phone. Because you can do that from the garage. Leave the room. Leave the room. Now, do not make a, don't make a production out of it. I'm leaving the room. Our pastor told us this last Sunday, when you became a jerk, I need to leave the room. So now I'm leaving the room. Don't do that. But you do you. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And there's one relationship in particular that we've got to touch on that the gospel talks about at the very beginning of the Bible. The in-laws. The in-laws. Yes, God addresses this relationship, which can be such an incredible blessing, such an amazing gift. But in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, and it then echoes again in the New Testament. So this one matters to God. This is a big one. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Say leave. leave. No, say leave. leave. Leave his father and mama and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. There's an entire sermon series in that passage of scripture. But when a man and a woman become husband and wife, that relationship is central and primary in that home. Every other relationship that has ever been or ever will be moves to stage left or stage right. It becomes periphery. We continue to honor our parents. We continue to love our parents. But when you get married, when I got married, I said, Julie is number one, period. So I've got her back. She's got my back. And together we decided that we would leave Mama and Daddy and create our own home. And we would be the primary relationship, more significant than the parent-child relationship, more significant than the in-law relationship. The marriage is the core relationship that God ordained and calls a man and a woman to leave their father and mother and be united to each other. Leave and cleave is the biblical principle here. So whatever you do to help your marriage, whatever you do to honor your children's marriages, you do them a favor. You can't make it for Thanksgiving this year? Man, we'd love to see you, but we're going to have a ball anyway. (laughs) See ya. Take care. Right if you get work. But this, this scorekeeping thing like, well, last year y'all spent Christmas there. Well, this year you're, who are you helping by doing that? You do you. You do you. And again, for those of us who are married, adult children, our parents are still around, thank God. Honor your parents and your, your father and your mother. Honor that relationship. But you guard and protect the marriage. You hold each other. They say, hey, I got you. I got you. I got you. Because I chose you. So we leave mommy and daddy. We grow up and we become adults. It's incredible. You do you. Now, Paul's not done. Verses 19 through 20. Check this out. (laughs) 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Some of you right now are thinking, I cannot wait for God's wrath. (laughs) Hold on just a second. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him or her. If she is thirsty, give her something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, don't get too excited about burning coals just yet. Because there's there's a context there that you got to understand. But again, the gospel changes everything. Some of us go to Thanksgiving dinner with our scorecards. Yeah, Cousin Josh. I remember last year, cranberries never made it past you. If you think that stuff's going to fly again this year, you got another thing coming, Josh. You want to go? But God says the gospel changes how we look at being wronged. We don't take revenge. We don't go looking for ways to make it even. What God's saying here is that we are to forgive ruthlessly. Forgive ruthlessly. And keep in mind that forgiveness has nothing to do with the person you're forgiving. Doesn't. They don't have to acknowledge they did anything wrong. They don't have to come begging for forgiveness on hands and knees in order for you to decide whether or not to forgive them. I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Forgiveness is a choice I make in my heart. And you know, here's something you got to understand too. Sometimes you have to forgive repeatedly. Doesn't mean that you didn't forgive before, but it means that sometimes circumstances or Satan or, or other people will bring up the offense and it comes back to your mind and you're just like, I can't believe he did that. I, I, I can't believe that that guy, maybe that family member looked me in the eye and lied to me. Forgive again. The classic exchange was Peter with Jesus. When he said, Father, he said, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone who offends us? Should should we forgive seven times? I love Peter. He's hard on his sleeve out there, you know. And Jesus goes, Peter, that's so cute that you would say seven. (laughs) Try 70 times seven. And just for the record, Jesus was not saying, the right answer is 490. (laughs) He was saying, you forgive as many times as it takes for you to not hold on to the offense. That's forgiveness, is letting go of the offense. Choosing not to be offended. That's forgiveness. And and sometimes we have to do it repeatedly. Sometimes we have to go, you know what? (laughs) Okay. I'm, I'm going to let, um, I'm letting go. And the, here's the problem. Sometimes it's fun to stay mad. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it's just like, you know, I know, I know I'm going to forgive and I will, but right now I'm enjoying this. God says, forgive ruthlessly. Now, when he says you'll be heaping hot coals on their heads, some of you are like, I mean, give me the hot coals. Where are the hot coals? But in context you got to understand, in the first century A.D., they didn't have gas ranges. They, they, didn't have, 
They didn't have in-house power and electric stoves. So people would carry coals in a, in a bin and they would carry it on their heads going from house to house and they would sell those coals so that that house would have heat for food, to cook food or warmth. And they would then put those coals back on their heads and they would go and they would this in this way make sure that every house had everything that they needed. So the, the hot coals on the head were a blessing to everybody they came in touch with. And Jesus says, when, when you get cursed, bless them back. When you are cursed, bless them back. And, and in case you think he was just kind of talking down from the mountaintop, don't forget that that's what he did on the cross. That while he was there on the cross, dying the most painful death any government has ever formulated. He looked down at the very people who had nailed him to the cross on the ground, and while he was nailed to the cross, lifted it up and dropped it in a hole so that his body shook and jarred. And the wounds in his wrists and his feet took the whole weight. And he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The gospel changes everything. You forgive ruthlessly. Don't hold on to that offense. You forgive ruthlessly, like Jesus forgave. And then Romans 12, 21 puts such an incredible bow on this entire passage. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't let sin win. But rather you overcome evil with good. What the gospel teaches us to do is to change the way we keep score. You see, we keep score with wins and losses. You did this to me, so I'll do that to you. You did something for me, I'll do this for you. And the gospel says, no, 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 no. We're going to change the way you keep score. We're going to keep score by how much you honor other people more than yourself. We're going to keep score by seeing how many times you repay evil with good. We're going to keep score by seeing how many times you choose to forgive ruthlessly. Now, that kind of a transformation begs a very simple question. Why? Why, why are we doing this? Why, I, because sometimes I like to stay mad. Sometimes I like to keep score, especially when I'm winning. But we're going to change everything because of that empty tomb. Because of the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he died in my place. He went to the cross and he died in your place so that you could be forgiven ruthlessly. So that I could be forgiven ruthlessly. So that good from God would overcome the evil in my life. And this cosmic transaction took place whereby Jesus gave me 
his righteousness in exchange for my sin. Whereby Jesus gave you his righteousness, his moral perfection, never lying, never cheating, stealing, in the dog, none of it. Moral perfection traded for what I had to offer, for what you had to offer, so that we could have eternal life starting right here and right now. The life that is truly life. It is for freedom that we've been set free. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you just a very, very simple question. Just very straightforward. Have you personally and definitively accepted that transaction? I'm not talking about going to church or being a good guy or a good girl. I'm talking about personally, definitively saying, I'm in. Saying, Jesus, I need forgiveness for my sins. I confess my sin to you. You see, the answer to that question is yes or no. It's not an essay question. We try to talk around it and and get real philosophical, and it's really very straightforward. If you're here today and the answer for you is no or you're not sure, we want to give you the opportunity to do that just right where you are. To step into that relationship with Jesus by just praying. Just silently right where you are, just talk to God. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Right here, right now, I give you my life. Jesus, I accept that moral transaction where your good overcomes my evil, my sin. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I give you mine once and for all. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. Amen. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. Because right now we're on sacred ground. When God's moving in somebody's life or in people's lives, That's different. That is truly sacred. And if that was your prayer today and you meant it for the first time, I want to ask you if you would, just take a moment in your mind, take a moment in your heart and your soul and just stamp this moment. Make sure that you know it's real. That it happened, that God did that and you responded to his grace initiative once and for all.
if that's you with our heads bowed in this moment, I want to just ask you if you would just raise your hand. Just raise your hand up high over your head and hold it there for a moment as you mark this moment, as you stamp it eternally in your mind and in your heart because this is the greatest moment of your life. And it's from this moment that God will build everything else that comes after. It's a moment that changes everything. It changes us as a church family. When one person steps into that relationship, the Bible says that all of heaven celebrates. And heaven is our home team. So if they celebrate, we celebrate that also. So as you put your hands down, we want to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.